The Secret Church podcast is a resource from Radical.net. In Secret Church 4, David Platt looks to Scripture to answer a question that is relevant for every person on the planet. Who is God? We will examine what Scripture says about the names of God, the attributes of God, and the mysteries of God, such as the Trinity, God's sovereign will, and the problem of evil. Nothing is more important than knowing and glorifying the God who has created us and made us His own through Jesus Christ. For The Secret Church 4, study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC4. And this is Secret Church 4, Episode 1. Well, good evening. God is our refuge and strength, an ever-present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging, there is a river whose stream makes glad the city of God. The holy place where the most high dwells and God is within her, she will not fall. God will help her at break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come and see the works of the Lord, the desolations he has brought on the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow, shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in all the earth. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Do you know this God? I mean, really, do you know this God? Jeremiah chapter 9, verse 23 and 24. This is what the Lord says. Let not the wise man boast of his wisdom, or the strong man boast of his strength, or the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast about this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises kindness, justice, and righteousness on earth, for in these I delight, declares the Lord. Do not boast about how smart you are. Do not boast about how intellectual you are. Do not boast about how rich you are. You have one boast in this life, and it is that you know God. We are focusing tonight on our persecuted brothers and sisters in three countries, India, Pakistan, and Afghanistan, a land of a million gods, literally hundreds of millions of gods that are worshipped. I can't get out of my mind images from central India walking past Hindu temples and seeing people bowing down before idols, throwing money before idols, weeping before idols, dancing before idols, false gods. They have such a warped perception of God. But ladies and gentlemen, so do we. We have a warped perception of God. I draw your attention to one article on the cover of one section in the Wall Street Journal. 
It's entitled, Redefining God. And listen to the thesis of the article. Across the country, the faithful, quote unquote, are redefining God. Dissatisfied with conventional images of an authoritarian or paternalistic deity, people are embracing quirky, individualistic conceptions of God to suit their own spiritual needs. You say, yes, that is what the culture is doing. No, it's what the church is doing. We have this dangerous tendency today to create God, redefine God, to be who we want him to be. And really we create a God who looks a lot like us. He's a nice middle class American God. And he looks like us and he thinks like us and he's comfortable with our lifestyles. He's comfortable with our self-saturated, lukewarm faith. He's comfortable with our apathy. He's comfortable with half-hearted devotion to him. He is comfortable with materialistic indulgence. He's comfortable with all those things because we are. And we fashion a God who looks a lot like us. Don't miss the danger here. If this is the case... Then when we gather together in this room every Sunday or in the church that you are a part of, gather together for worship and you sing songs and you lift your hands out to God, this God that you've created, the reality is you're not worshiping God, you're worshiping yourselves. And even when we are known as a people who worship in the church, the reality is the object of our worship has been grossly misdefined. And so I want you to know from the very beginning of our time together tonight that our goal is not to redefine God. He is not open to redefinition, and he will not be trifled with. Our goal is not redefinition. Our goal is revelation. We want to see how God has revealed himself to us and all of his beauty and all of his grandeur and all of his terror and all of his might. We want to see who the God of the Bible is. So if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, then let's get to know the one who wrote it. So I want to invite you to pull it out. And you've got verses that are interdispersed all throughout the booklets that you have. And then there will be some times where I want us to turn to some different places and you might mark some things. And so kind of have them both there. And you've got there in your notes. Hopefully you have sat next to someone tonight who uh, you can cheat off of along the way as, as you miss different blanks at different times. Uh, you will need each other. This is all about community in this room. Uh, what you see after, after you see Jeremiah 9, you see some quotes there from a guy named A.W. Tozer. A uh, little background here because you'll see quotes from Tozer sprinkled throughout our time together tonight. He wrote a little book called Knowledge of the Holy, which by the way, in the very back of your, uh, your study guide, there's a list of recommended readings, some books if you want to go deeper into some of these things that you can go to. And, and Knowledge of the Holy is back there. It's a thin book. One of the classics on the attributes of God and probably the book when it comes to the doctrine of God, understanding who is God, that has had more impact on my life than any other book. Tozer just says things in very powerful ways. And so you're going to see throughout different things that he said. And I kind of want to set the stage before we dive in tonight with some of the things that the Tozer challenged me with as I was reading that and have gone back and reread it. Listen to what he says. Tozer says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. What comes into your mind when you think about God is the most important thing about you. 
He goes on, are we able to extract from any man a complete answer to the question, what comes into your mind when you think about God, we might predict with certainty the spiritual future of that man. Were we able to know exactly what our most influential religious leaders think of God today, we might be able with some precision to foretell where the church will stand tomorrow. I want you to think about that. Your understanding of God affecting what your life is going to look like. And especially among church leaders all across this room, our understanding of God today will affect what the church looks like tomorrow. He goes on, it's not a cheerful thought that millions of us who live in a land of Bibles, who belong to churches and labor to promote the Christian religion, may yet pass our whole life on this earth without once having thought or tried to think seriously about the being of God. Few of us have let our hearts gaze and wonder at the I am, the self-existent self, back of which no creature can think. Such thoughts are too painful for us. We prefer to think where it will do more good, about how to build a better mousetrap, for instance, or how to make two blades of grass grow where one grew before. And for this we are now paying a too heavy price in the secularization of our religion and the decay of our inner lives. He addresses the things, the trifling things that we fill our minds with and our conversations with when, when we neglect contemplating and looking at the being and the essence of who God is. Last quote I want to put before you at the start here. So when Tozer says the heaviest obligation lying upon the Christian church today is to purify and elevate her concept of God until it is once more worthy of him and of her. I think there are a few things more important that we could do together on a Saturday evening than contemplate the being of God and who he is. The challenge is how in the world do we fit this in between now and midnight. And some of you who may have talked to people from last night know that it, uh, it, it may not happen. So... Uh, <laughs> We're going to do our best, though. I've learned. This is round two. That was like dress rehearsal. You guys get the, you know, this is the, anyway, why are we here? Three primary reasons why we're here. I want to make sure that we're on the same page from the very beginning. We are here, number one, to know God's glory. To know God's glory. We're gathered because we want to see God in all of his greatness. We want to contemplate his character. I can remember sitting in theology class in, in seminary and when we got to the doctrine of God and I'm sitting there with my laptop in front of me and I'm taking notes as the professor is walking us through attributes of God. And there were moments where you're sitting there listening, thinking about the attributes of who God is, the being of God, and it just almost didn't feel appropriate to be just sitting there typing this on a laptop. I felt like I needed to be typing, at least typing on my knees if I was going to type at all. And so I hope, I hope that, that we will sense that in this room tonight, that we will sense the magnitude of what we are dealing with and talking about the glory of God and that you will feel the freedom. If you got room, you feel free to fill in blanks on your knees or I hope at least in our hearts, my prayer is that six hours from now we will have a deeper knowledge of the glory of God than we do at this moment. We want to know God's glory. Second, we want to learn God's word. This is the foundation for our knowledge of God. The only way you know the glory of God is through the word of God. And that's why you've got and the, uh, all the scripture just saturated throughout this booklet. And I would encourage some of you to go back and do what many folks have done. And we're going to fly through some of these scriptures. We won't read every scripture that's listed in these booklets. And many people have gone back with small groups or individually and, and taken what we cram into four hours tonight and of, of little four plus hours of teaching and unpack it 
in the days, weeks, months, there's probably years of stuff in here to unpack. We want to know God's glory. We want to learn God's word. And third, we want to advance God's kingdom. And this is where I want to remind you that this evening is not about you. This is something very important for you to understand about Secret Church. We have not gathered here in this room for your sake. The goal tonight, the purpose of our time tonight is not to teach you who God is. It's not for you to see who God is. The goal is for you to be enabled to teach others who God is. And there is a significant difference between the two. If the first was our goal, then everything we do would center around what happens in this room tonight. It would center around you. And we would need to worry about the entertainment value of the next six hours we have together. But the reality is you could have found a lot better things to do on Saturday night if your goal was to be entertained. You probably could have found a lot more Christian events you could have gone to in order to be entertained. The goal is not to entertain you. The goal is to equip you. And to equip you with two main things. Number one, to equip you with the knowledge of who God is so that you can teach others who God is. I want to encourage you. God, raise up a church that doesn't just receive your word but reproduces your word. I want to encourage you to listen. I know there's tons of notes that are sitting in front of you in this booklet, but write down everything that comes to your mind, everything. Imagine that you are teaching this to someone tomorrow. So what do you need to know in order to pass it on? How are you going to listen tonight to reproduce, not just to receive? That's one thing to be equipped with, the knowledge ability to teach this, but then second, want to equip you with the passion to lay down your lives to teach the nations who God is, to show the nations who God is with your lives. And so our goal is to advance the kingdom. So take good notes. And we obviously, and, and you'll hear about this later on, but the cameras that are set up, the goal is that everything that we cover tonight will then be translated into different languages, that, that what we're doing here tonight will eventually be in the hands and in the ears of church leaders around the world in multiple languages. And so we're not gathered tonight for our sake. We're gathered for the sake of the glory of God in all nations. And so, so I want encourage you to stay awake. Uh, for the sake of the nations, stay awake tonight. If you need to get up and walk around at some point, just do it for the sake of the nations. So, and you know, I, I say that, there's even a grain of truth to that. I remember when I uh, was in central India, and I remember this city that we were in, seven million people. And one day we went up to the highest point in the city. It's a Hindu temple. And we walk past all of these people that are bowing down in front of these idols false gods just surrounded by them in this temple. And we get to the edge of, of that temple, it's really the, kind of the edge of a mountain, and you look out over this cliff, and you can literally, if you could just imagine with me, you can see a city full of seven million people. And I want you to imagine looking out, seeing a city full of seven million people, and knowing that most of those people have little or no knowledge of the gospel. And as we looked out and we prayed over that city, two words God kept bringing to my mind, to my heart. God kept saying, David, wake up. Wake up. You're going to hear later tonight from Ramesh. He lives in northern India where 600 million people. Do you know how many Christians among those 600 million? A quarter of 1% evangelical Christians. 600 million people. 
We gather together tonight to advance the kingdom of God in northern India, to be equipped to take the gospel and the good news of who God is to northern India. And if we disconnect what we do tonight from what God is doing among unreached peoples and among the persecuted brothers and sisters we have around the world, then we've missed the point. We are here to advance God's kingdom with a capital K. So, you ready? Sound good? That's why we're here. Okay, can we know God? Let's jump in. Can we know God? The reality is God is incomprehensible. He's incomprehensible. Psalm 145 verse 3 says, it's greatness no one can fathom. God's incomprehensible. We've just sung about that. We can never fully understand any single thing about God. Now follow me here. We can know something about God's love. We can know something about his power, his wisdom, and the other attributes that we're going to talk about tonight. But we can never know his love, power, wisdom, or other attributes exhaustively. Now this is key for us to understand. We can know something, but we can't know him exhaustively. Now some of you are thinking, what about 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12 that says, now I know in part, then I shall know fully. Well, what Paul is saying is he's saying there's coming a day when we're, our knowledge is going to be more complete, but he's not saying that there's coming a day when we're going to be omniscient. Paul doesn't say in 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 12, and we have this idea sometimes. He doesn't say that one day there's going to be a day when we know all things. Sometimes we think and we even say, when I get to heaven, I'll know everything. I, I hate to break it to you, but when you get to heaven, you're not going to be God. It's not going to happen. That's not the purpose. You're not going to know all things. And so we can't know God exhaustively, and the reason is twofold. The reason is we can't know God fully because of two things. Number one, our sinfulness, and number two, his greatness. We'll unpack both of those. Because of our sin, we are hindered from glimpsing the fullness of God. And we know that. Every single one of us in this room has sin in our lives that keeps us from knowing God as completely as we could. So sin keeps us from knowing God. But even when all sin will be removed from us, we will still be, and this is where his greatness comes in, we will still be finite and God will still be what? He'll still be infinite. Even when we get to heaven, we won't be infinite like God. We won't be God. We won't be omniscient like God. That means that for all of eternity, we will increase in our knowledge of him. Now I want you to think about this with me. Think about this. God is infinite in his love and his power and his wisdom. We're going to talk about that later on. If that's true, and we were always going to be finite, not infinite, then the reality is we will be learning more and more and more and more about his love and his power and his wisdom and all that he is for all of eternity. Now, if in pride we want to be equal to God, we can respond to this in two ways. If in pride we want to be equal to God in knowledge, then this will depress us. Some people think, well, you mean I'm never going to get there? Never going to understand it all? I mean, you think after, you know, a cool 400 billion years, I might, might be a little closer. But the reality is, no. And if pride, and pride we want to be equal to God in knowledge, this will depress us. However, if in humility we want to live, to adore, and worship God, this will delight us. I want you to let this picture soak in, ladies and gentlemen. For all of eternity, day after day after day, we will never tire of learning more and more and more and more and more and more about the love, the grace, the mercy, and the power of God. And this is huge. Sometimes when people think about heaven, people say, if heaven's going to be perfect, won't it be perfectly boring? And some of, some of you have thought that. We think, well, what about, I mean, it's a long time, you know, eternity. I mean, 
Don't you get tired of that? The reality is because of who we're going to see in God tonight, we're going to realize that you cannot get enough of this God. And for all of eternity, we will learn more and more and more and more. We can know God. The resolution, here's the deal. Though we cannot understand God fully, exhaustively, we can understand God truly. Some might think, well, if you can't understand God fully, then what's the point? Like, why, 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 why even try? Well, the reality is we can't understand Him fully, but we can understand Him truly. Everything Scripture tells us about God is true. So based on Scripture, even though we don't have exhaustive knowledge of God, we do have true knowledge of God. So everything we talk about tonight, we're looking at that which He's revealed to us. And we can know God truly, though not exhaustively. Though God is incomprehensible, the good news is He is knowable. So we can know God, not exhaustively, but we can know God truly. He's incomprehensible, at the same time He's knowable. How can we know God? This is where I want to invite you to turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. I didn't put it in there because I want you to turn to this one with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. This is a, a passage that uh, we've been in for some time here at Brook Hills uh, earlier this year, and that's uh, really had a, a large effect in my own personal walk with, with God over the last few months. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I want you to think about how we can know God. How we can know God. Look with me at, well, verse 10 is kind of the main verse. I want us to start, though, in verse 9 just to get the context. Listen to what it says. Verse 9, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived what God has prepared for those who love him. Now he's quoting there from the Old Testament. Where is he quoting from? Isaiah chapter 64 verse Okay, now some of you might be uh, visiting uh, these Brook Hills folks. You're thinking, man, they really know like the word. Like that, yeah, that was an easy one, Isaiah 64. Who doesn't know that? Well, you got the little note in your Bible that takes you to the bottom that tells you it's from Isaiah 64, verse 4. The picture is, I want you to see the contrast because in verse 10 he says, but. Okay, so we got a contrast. He says, in the Old Testament, no mind has seen, no ear has heard, no, no eye has seen, no ear has heard, no mind has conceived of what God has prepared. Can't even imagine it. Then he says, contrast, but God has revealed it to us by his Spirit. So it's not hidden. It's revealed to us. He goes on, the Spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. Now, I want you to follow with me here. I want you to follow me. I want us to look at a truth and some conclusions from that truth. What this passage is teaching us, we don't have time to read the whole deal, but what this passage is teaching us, you got it there in your notes, only the Spirit of God knows the fullness of the glory of God. Only the Spirit of God knows the fullness of the glory of God. Who knows the mind of a man, but the, 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 thought, the thoughts of a man, but the Spirit of a man. The only one who knows the thoughts of God, the glory of God, is the Spirit of God. If that means if we want to know God, here's the conclusion, then we need the Spirit to reveal Him to us. That only makes sense. If only the Spirit of God knows the fullness of the glory of God, then if we want to know the glory of God, we've got to have the Spirit to reveal Him to us. The reality is, if that's the case, then a people who are desperate to know God will be desperate for who? For His Spirit. It only makes sense. If we want to know God, and the Spirit of God is the only one who knows the fullness of the glory of God, then we will be desperate for the Spirit of God. And this is where, when I was studying this particular text just a few months ago, I was so convicted. 
because I looked at my life as a pastor and I looked at the church that, that I was leading and I didn't see a pastor or a people who were desperate for the Spirit. And it was convicting because if only the Spirit of God knows the fullness of the glory of God. So if we want to know the glory of God, that means we'd be desperate for the Spirit. What that means is if we're not desperate for the Spirit, and that's a sure sign that we have grown content with knowing little about God. If we're not desperate for a spirit, it's a sure indicator that we've grown content with knowing little about God. And so I want to ask you tonight, are you desperate for the spirit of God? When people look at your life, would they say, that's a man, that's a woman that is desperate for the Spirit. If not, then it's a sure indicator that we have grown content with knowing little about God. So I ask us tonight, do we want to know the glory of God? If so, in this room, let us be a people that are desperate for the Spirit of God. And the beauty of it is, when we're desperate for the Spirit, our hearts will begin to understand God. Listen to this. I'll show it to you in the end of 1 Corinthians 2. Our hearts will begin to understand God with the very perspective of Christ. You get to the end of 1 Corinthians 2. He quotes again there from Isaiah chapter 40. He says, who has known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? Who's known the mind of God? The rhetorical question is nobody has. But then he says, contrast again, but, verse 16, we have the mind of Christ. This is the beauty of John chapter 16, verse 12 through 15. When, when Jesus says, all that the Father has, he's given to me. And all that I have, I've been made known, I make known to you through the Spirit. This is the beauty of it. No longer call you servants because a servant doesn't know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. I've taken, the picture is, all the Father has belongs to Jesus. All that Jesus has, he gives to us through his Spirit. That should make us a people that are desperate for the Spirit of God. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources from David Platt at Radical.net.